All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fuck, Nicks? What the fucksters? What the fuckadelics? What the fuckaholics? What the fuckleberry fins? What the fuck, Minister Fullers? Yes, I am Mark Marin. This is WTF. Thank you for listening to my show. I appreciate it, and I like talking to you. I do. Today, Josh Radner is on the show. Those of you who don't know Josh, he is the star, one of the stars uh, of the hit television series, How I Met Your Mother, and the final episode of that series is on this evening. Now, it's interesting about about Josh because I ran into Josh a week or so ago. Whenever I was just in New York for the IFC Upfronts, we were staying at the same hotel and I walked by him and I'm like, hey, you're that guy, Josh. He's like, hey, man, I think I know. Oh, yeah. And it all came back together. I had met Josh Radner at a dinner at about like about nine, between nine and 10 years ago. I was still married to my second wife and it was an event of some kind he was with uh, someone i knew and he had just gotten the gig of how i met your mother he had just gotten that gig and you know i think i was pleasant to him i remember connecting with him and when i ran into him i was sort of like oh yeah you're that guy and and i met you and and then i I saw him in jill soloway's movie afternoon delight which was he was great in he's also made a couple of his own movies and tonight is the final night of the ninth season, I believe, of this series that was incredibly popular. That has, you know, millions of viewers. I told him when I ran into him at the hotel, I said, "We, you know, you got to come on the show. Uh, it'd be interesting to talk to you about your experience. And he said, yeah, sure. And then like literally days later, we hooked it up and he's on today, the night, the day of the last night of this thing that has been part of his life for nine years. And it was an interesting conversation because I literally, look, and you're talking to a guy that's maybe seen eight episodes of Friends, maybe 12 episodes of Seinfeld. I really have been out of the loop with weekly TV viewing of major series. And and I had to confess to Josh that I think that maybe I've seen three or four of the 208 episodes of How I Met Your Mother. I mean, I understood the conceit. And I was a little nervous and I realized, well, there's no way I can get caught up in a week and sit and watch 200 episodes of How I Met Your Mother. But I can certainly talk to this gentleman as an actor, as an artist, as somebody who's been in the business, as a kindred spirit of sorts, as a Jew, perhaps, uh, and and a lot of other things. And we ended up having this amazing conversation. It was one of these conversations that I didn't really want to end uh, because we were hitting it off and we, you know, it got to the point where we were just talking about movies and then we talked about spirituality, whatever. What is you know, a grounded professional dude, you know, Josh Radner is. And I think that even those, those of you who are, who are big fans of How I Met Your Mother, maybe just tuning in because of that, you might, you know, get to know Josh a little better. And, and, and for those of you who are my fans and listen to this show regularly, you might not know anything about How I Met Your Mother. I didn't either. It turned out to be an amazing conversation, and I was you know, very appreciative that he came by. Folks, I know that I've kept you in the loop about my trials and tribulations, you know, in a lot of ways. In a lot of ways, I feel very close to you, and you know what's going on with me for the most part. But I do have to report that my struggle, and this is seemingly like, this is starting to seem like an eternal struggle, like almost a, a spiritual struggle with one of the gods that runs our planet. It's taking on a spiritual dimension. It's confronting, you know, parts of myself that I'm not comfortable with. It's, it's making me confront the, the existential crisis 
of mortality and and are we alone in the world it's making me confront my personal morality and i think you know what struggle i'm talking about that is my struggle with time warner cable who is my internet provider this is a reality of modern life i have to deal with time warner cable i have no choice if i want access to the world i need to deal with it it's my portal to the world and my portal to the world becomes compromised every night around five or six in the evening my portal to the world is very slow it makes me very anxious it makes me aggravated it causes me stress it's probably giving me cancer the fact that i can't access the world at a reasonable speed or more more succinctly the fucking speed that i pay for it's becoming mythological time warner is now becoming mythic to me because i'm not fucking sure if they're real i know there's a lot of people involved i know i plug something in but i'm not sure that that they know what's going on i don't believe the lip service paid in print and and on television to their concern for the speed and convenience of their services i'm not sure that there's anyone really regulating anything over there you know from what i can glean they got into the internet business because they just absorbed another company there's all this infrastructure laying around that i think they hope it works but as i told you I, i was taken last week to tier two which i decided was on another planet i talked to a woman on another planet with a peculiar accent that i decided was alien in in the truest sense of the word not in any sort of um uh nationalistic or racist sense of the word she was she was she lived on another planet that uh, time warner had subcontracted tier two of its customer service to to alien beings who were there as a sort of um safeguard a a kind of uh a wall of interference between whatever it is time warner really is and customers so tier two lady the alien from another planet she was going to keep a watch on my uh on my connection for 72 hours the female uh alien lady from another planet was throwing a switch that would uh uh you know keep a watch on my connection so two days later you know shit was still going down every night six o'clock garbage no connection I would do compulsive speed tests. I would reboot my router two or three times, occasionally get it for a little while. So then I decided, like, I better call and see if I can get through to the other planet, to the lady on another planet, to, uh, to see what's going on. How is that monitoring going of my connection? So I call up, and now my, my attitude towards Tier 1 or the first wall of obstruction of customer service at Time Warner, my attitude is like, like okay, you're angry. They anticipate that. Maybe you should choose a different tone, not because you expect them to help. I'm calling them knowing they can't help me, that the first wall of defense of Time Warner's incompetence cannot help me anymore. I know that. We're past that. And I know that if I tell them my phone number and push it into my phone, they will see my history of three technicians, compulsive calls for over two weeks, 20 or 30 calls, that I've done everything they've asked me to do. I've jumped through all the hoops. I've gotten a new modem, that all that stuff is right there in front of them. So I call them up with a new tone 
and my tone is this they go hi time warner can i help you i'm like yes hi uh look i've been calling a lot and i just wanted you to know that your your company is horrible that time warner is a horrible company they're terrible and they're liars i just i just want you to know that and and i'm comfortable with that you know i've accepted that and i want you to know that i'm saying this to to a person who I know's job is to take a certain amount of shit, but I don't want to be abusive. So I just want to know. It's like, look, it's just bad. Time Warner is awful. And uh, I'd really like to make another choice, but I don't think you can help me. But he says, uh, I'm sorry that you're having trouble. What, uh, is, what, what, what can I help you with? I'm like, you, you actually can't help me. There's, there's nothing, nothing you can do for me. It's not within your power to do anything for me. All right, do you see my you see my information there? You see what's going on? There's nothing you can suggest. There's nothing that you can do for me. So let's just skip the fucking game. Can you get me to tier two? I'd like to talk to the woman who lives on another planet. So he goes, well, I'll give you to a, a you know advanced um, technical support for internet. I'm like, sure, sure. Let's go. Let's go that route. Let's go advanced. So now I, I get to advance and this woman's like, uh, yeah, can I help you? I'm like, I don't know. I don't think so. But I, I just feel like I should be calling you guys because things aren't right and I shouldn't be paying for it. And, and uh, I don't really have much options with other servers. So I, I don't think there's anything you can do for me. I just wanted to tell you that you work for a horrible company. Time Warner's horrible. And I know that you're on another planet probably. So this is you know probably not even your concern. I don't think that human problems are your issue. But I do want you to know that the reason that they've hired you on whatever planet you live on is because you you have no conscience uh you have no empathy and you you think that human problems are trivial that being said i just wanted to report to you that i'm still having problems you know after the hour of five or six at night and it's the exact same problems and and i just wanted to tell you that and she goes well do you are you using like i've got your connection right now are you using a a wi-fi router oh okay you're gonna work the it's my fault the router angle uh yes i do but that but that isn't a problem because uh you know i had a watch put on my connection because a woman uh, i probably who's, who's there with you in whatever uh whatever structure you're in that allows you to breathe properly if you do b- breathe oxygen um told me that they were going to watch my my connection do you see that on there she goes uh no i don't see any red flags or any but you don't see that they're watching it no i don't see that sir so the people on your planet are pathological liars which would make sense with your lack of empathy and concern for the human animal but my fear is folks my fear is that not unlike a spiritual search is that i'm learning something about myself you know, I don't want to accept this. I believe that we should fight bad companies. I believe that apathy is not the way to handle this, that this is just the way it is. But sadly, sadly, uh, I think that most people wear out before I wear out. And I think that most people don't call. So they're just sort of hedging their bets. And the reason they hire customer service on any planet is to sort of be a wall, a wall of sort of base simple communication the that the people hired in customer service especially at time warner are really just there to absorb the hostility anger disappointment and frustration of their customers and what they're hoping is that people will just wear out and just tire out and accept the garbage that they provide for you as service just because that's the way it is that's what they're hoping for but my persistence has led me to the sad realization that that really Time Warner slogan should be, we're here, we're all you've got, and we can't help you. Because I think at the end of the day, not unlike spiritual belief, is that it's really on you. Where are you going to hang your hope? 
Who are you going to be in the, as a person in the world? How are you going to treat other people? That the bottom line is, is that not unlike a scientific search out into space, eventually you hit a wall of, we don't know. We don't know. You know, even with, with God, you know, it's sort of like, what God, what? Tell me what to do. There's no answer. You know, for whatever reason you think there's no answer, but there's no answer. The answer is going to come from your heart. You know what? Because it's not knowable. It's not knowable. God is not necessarily knowable. It's a, it's a decision that comes from within your heart, how you're going to build that relationship. So now, now that I know this, I know that when you get all the way through the Time Warner customer service labyrinth, you know, at the core of it, at the end of your search, at the end of your demand for help, they don't know. They don't know why it's not working. They just have a huge multi-tiered with several planets involved and satellites, a huge system that you can get lost in. And there's no one at the end that says, oh yeah, oh yeah, I know, I know. They don't know. And you know how you're going to behave and how you're going to act in the face of that realization, that's for you to know. I think that dinner we were at, you had just gotten the, the role. Okay, I know exactly what you're talking about. I, I remembered meeting you, but yes, it was at a dinner. And I think it's, I think that's right. I think it was. I remember being there and you know, it was, I think it was, I don't know if it was a Seder or, or, or it was a Jew oriented. Right. But usually, you know, with Soloway, it was a Jew oriented yeah, thing. Yeah. I don't remember what the event was, but yeah. I was there with my, with my wife and you were there with Jesse Klein. Yeah. And you had just gotten the part on uh, How I Met Your Mother. Yeah. And I was like, uh, so you're that, you're gonna, you're that guy. You're, <laughs> you like, you weren't even like that. It's funny because you were sort of like, yeah, just. Yeah, it's a thing. Well, it was like, you know, who knows? I was like my fourth pilot. I mean, they, none of it had worked, so. Oh, I don't really? Know. Yeah, yeah. So how long had you been out here when you got that? What, what uh, year was that? That was must be that like was 2005. Uh-huh. Yeah. How old are you? 39. Okay. And when did you come out here? Uh, I started coming out here like 2001, but I would spend like pilot season out here. My girlfriend at the time was working out here, so I would come out and be with her. And then Where were you living? New York. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then, okay, so let's let's track it all the way back because I have this theory about, um, you know, my friend Sam Cedar. Do you know Sam Cedar? I don't know. <laughs> he did some television. Yeah, he's a political guy now. Like I did a show with him on Air America. That you know, there there's a there's a role in Hollywood on television that is played by the attractive Jewish man. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing. That's yeah. the slot I yeah, was in. Yeah, yeah. I think that you know the attractive, funny. Uh, um, smart Jewish man uh-huh. is is around. You know, right. I don't know when it started, right? But I I I think it predates. You know, Schwimmer. I think it predates. But I always think there's a place. Like look at movies, even like Elliot Gould, right. James Kahn. There there has to be a, a there has a to be that guy, slightly neurotic, attractive Jewish man, and then available. they just surround him with wackiness. Sure, and watch, him, yeah. watch him react. Yeah, well, it, or other people that fit. Yeah, I just I have this I theory of archetypes that yeah. that repeat themselves. Right? Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm sure there's something to that. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but you didn't. What, did you, you didn't grow up in New York? No, I grew up in Columbus, Ohio. Would you like what? What kind of childhood was that? Was your you're Jewish? I am. Can we be Jewy? Don't <laughs> don't tell anyone. No, <laughs> I don't want I, to hurt my chances in show business. Yeah. Okay, um, Josh yeah, Radner. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't tell anybody. That, that's a Welsh name. Come on, it is really Radnershire. 
Oh, it's a thing, yeah. So what your dad? No, but said... I come from like shtetl Jews. Like, really? well, how is that? A, then how the Welsh name? It happened? just is like the curveball, like the little genetic curveball from my dad's dad's dad's. Side. Was he Jewish? He that that probably wasn't. There's like a strain of non-Jew uh-huh. percolating. Through. You got that in you, huh? Yeah, the non-Jew. Yeah, the Welsh non-Jew. Mm-hmm. So, so you grew up in uh, how many sisters and brothers? I have an older sister and a younger sister. I'm the middle boy. Really? Yeah. To, so that's why you. That's probably why you're a uh, you're 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 a nice guy. I guess. I mean, you couldn't. There was no room in my family for like you know being a terrible person. I mean, the combination of like <laughs> Jewish parents and Ohio yeah. was kind of like you know just calm down, <laughs> just watch it. No room to yeah. be a terrible person. Yeah, you wanted that room, but you just couldn't. I never. I don't know. Like I tried it on. Whenever I've tried on being like a dick, a dick, it always felt like that doesn't feel good. Well, that's and, a good thing, right? And then other people are like, "Why are you being a dick?" Yeah. I mean, it's so obvious, but yeah. it's just kind of like. That's that wasn't my thing, so I was like, you know. Oh my god, I wish I had that kind of choice. I, maybe I do. Like I did, like a dick. I, that was my thing for a it lot was, of years, yeah, yeah. being a dick. But it didn't feel like a choice. Oh really? No, if you're not naturally a dick. Where'd you grow up? In- Albuquerque. Okay, Albuquerque, New Mexico. Also, not the the hot pocket of Jew. No, Jewry. no, yeah. no. But yeah, you know, but like I, I, I don't know what Columbus is like, but um, you know, there was a there was there seemed to be a crew that went out there. You know, there was a few Wild West Jews. Some settlers. Right, but then yeah. there was a wave at some point of right. just, you know, the second generation running away from their parents in New York and New Jersey. Right, right. It's interesting, like, East Coast Jew is very different than Midwestern Jew, which I imagine That's Southwest true. Jew is That's like true. a whole other thing. Well, a lot of them began as as Midwest or as uh, East Coast Jews, but then there's like San Francisco Jews. I don't, I can't even identify them. Like, they're like... There's a type of Jew in San Francisco that I think came around during like the gold rush and Levi mm-hmm. Strauss was mm-hmm. a Jew. Mm-hmm. So that and they defined the the the, econo- the economics of that of that city at some time but they're not we all get used to the East Coast Jew. I think we're all acting in relation to some version of the East Coast Jew. Yeah. I mean my idea of like Midwestern Jew is like when Jewy things get talked about at restaurants, yeah. it goes into a whisper. <laughs> like that's where <laughs> is that, it's is not that, as it's like wait, say, oh, we're going to synagogue. <laughs> You know, it's just, there's, yeah, a, there's a hush. Is that how you grew up? I kind of, I mean, not, there wasn't like shame about it. It was right. just, you weren't ostentatious about it. Sure, you know? sure. Because they it, already knew. Why push it? <laughs> <laughs> They're like, they know we're Jewish. Yeah. Let's not, let's, let's not, not rub their ring the gong. It. Yeah. <laughs> so you're kind of quiet about it. It's like, I'm going to Hebrew school. My bar mitzvah is coming up. Well, no, I couldn't not be. I mean, I went to a Hebrew day school. Like I went to. Really? Like, yeah. Like there was a. Like a mm-hmm. like you learned Hebrew, you had to wear a yarmulke. Yeah, 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 the whole bit. What? But you were you Orthodox? No, we weren't. But it was kind. Of, you know, it's kind of like private school. S- sending your kid to right. Catholic school when you're not super right. Catholic. Kind right. Of thing. Did you did did you learn Hebrew? Did you mm-hmm. and you did all that? Did it all? Yeah. And your parents were into that. They yeah. I mean, they were more like active in the synagogue kind of Jews, but they weren't. We didn't keep kosher. What'd your dad do? He's a trial lawyer. He retired a couple years ago. A trial lawyer? Hmm. Yeah. What yeah. kind of lawyer? He def- he was of counsel at a couple of hospitals. He worked for, doc- I mean, defended doctors mostly. Doctors from uh, predatory lawsuits. That's right. That's right. From the guys who are like you didn't take an X-ray, and that's why I can't walk. Exactly. Or there, or his version was like, "Don't get out of bed, Mister Johnson." Mister Johnson gets out of bed, breaks yeah. his hip, sues yeah. the hospital. So he's, oh, oh, so that oh, so he actually represented. He, right, he did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did a, a little bit of um, plaintiff's work, but mostly defense. My dad was a doctor, so I, I understand. Yeah, he was the on fear. He was on your side. He was on. He was on the good team. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Doctors have a tough man because oh, man. of that. 
The people just come after them. Oh yeah, yeah. Like, but it, it's also have you? I mean, I think this was in a Malcolm Gladwell book, but it's it's basically like wasn't everything. A, if you have a good <laughs> if you have a good bedside manner, you get sued like eighty percent less. Is that true? Like they're actually suing bad personalities oh, in some ways. They're like suing someone's got to pay. Yeah, like they're, they're like you didn't make me feel safe or good, and something bad happened. But if you if you're kind and caring, and then something bad happens, they're like, oh yeah, I guess I don't know. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Like he did the best he could. Because yeah. sadly, uh, medicine is not an exact science. Correct. And <laughs> I don't know why they haven't figured that out yet. Yeah. I, part of me thinks that they, they really don't have a lot invested in letting us all live forever. Yeah. But I think, I mean, you're so vulnerable if you're, you know, you. I think it's just everyone's fear. Everyone goes crazy when they're sick. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Know. Because then it becomes real. Like this doesn't go on forever. Yeah. That's a horrible realization. Yeah. Do you think about it? Death? Yeah. Um. You know, now I've you never, are. I'm sorry. God damn. I've never been super like death obsessed. And I actually find certain, like I find, uh, like I used to read all this Philip Roth. I love Philip Roth. And then, oh, you got it? Yeah. I got a bunch of Philip Roth. Yeah. I was just talking to Lena Dunham about it. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I, uh, I, I, I was obsessed with him in college. I just read like a book a week. I got on this real tear with him. And once he got into his dying phase where oh. it was all about like death and swollen prostates and oh, stuff yeah. i couldn't do it anymore it's hard when he when he start to feel the organs that are being talked yeah it's about. just like um mm-hmm. it felt so asphyxiating somehow you know we spend our life trying to accommodate that knowledge the, somehow of, of our demise yeah you know yeah. either 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 working against it denying it or or like i i don't know people who have a, who healthily embrace it i mean if i really think about it it's yeah. terrifying I think so, but I think it. I, I think there are people who are no, okay. who have a really big vision of it, or or just you acceptance know? of it. Yeah, like like there's people that like that don't feel like they have to do a lot of shit. <laughs> well, know? I also feel certain Eastern concepts around like reincarnation is actually quite helpful, and I don't I I, I don't think it's delusional to believe that. Right, but I think. Because um, I actually kind of do believe that in reincarnation, I do. Really, I do. I don't know. I just feel some sort of continuum, and and but I, to get back to the thing, I I don't. It's not my demise. I fear it's more like I'm I'm suffering phobic. Like I don't want the suffering yeah. and the pain. Well, and, you don't have to as much as people used to. I, I mean, that's so. one thing they're pretty good at. Yeah, that's they got true. a handle on making on the pain, pain meds. Yeah, yeah. Well, wait. I, I like this idea though. So. Um, so we got back to that. You're worried about suffering, but wait. You're not worried about the the moment where it's sort of like. Boom, boom. Okay, here I am. Now I'm what? The, the, the transition. Yeah. From life into whatever you think's going to happen. Yeah, but I, I have this. I just, in my new screen, I just wrote a new screenplay and What's I have it? this. What's it about? It's, it's set in Poland. It's a kind of love triangle set in Poland. Really? My grandmother, I was on the film festival of a, a, a jury of a film festival a couple years ago in Krakow. Have you been to Krakow? No, it's I want to go to Poland. I, I, my people are from Poland. Yeah, so I went to see the gran- uh, the town where my grandmother was born, this little town called Pinchov, where nothing is there. I mean, it's a pub, it's a pub and a so you, two churches. You do the you do the work. You, I mean, I, in the way that, like, you know, I've I've kind of wanted to do that. Go to Russia and track down where the problem started. I mean, did I do the work? I knew this town existed. I went there. The visitor center was closed. I walked around the square a couple times. But you were, you were there for something else. I was there. Uh, yeah, I was on the jury of a film festival for about ten days. A Krakow film festival. It was called Off Center. It was. I'm mean, yeah, off camera. They, then they came to you. Yeah, yeah. yeah they okay. Just they're like, so then I said because you've well, done two films. You did what? Liberal arts. Liberal and, arts and uh, Happy Thank You More Please was my first one. Yeah, and that, but when you did Happy Th- Thank You More, was that while you were doing uh, How I Met Your Mother? Both before? of them, I was. I did still. Before. Oh, yeah, so yeah, you yeah. kind of fit it in. Like fourth season, I did liberal arts. Sixth season, in, kind of in between, in the summers between. So this is the dream. 
to be doing it all. Yeah, I get. Yeah, doing it all. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Totally. All right. So um, okay. So it's. Uh, so, so I've never no, been to but, Poland. But, Tell but me about have, Poland. Um, Poland. You know, it was kind of like gray. It, I was shocked how many How I Met Your Mother fans <laughs> were there. That was there, weird. It's an international phenomenon. Yeah. Um, but I found it to be. It was like I've never been to Prague, but it reminded yeah. me of pictures I've seen of Prague, right, 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 and it yeah. kind of felt like an underfilmed city. Uh-huh. You know, I was like, the movies should shoot here. Yeah, and then I noticed that they were actually kind of dangling. You know, for the winners, they they would say like, oh, if you shoot in Krakow, you get another hundred and fifty thousand dollars towards yeah. your film. So I thought, well, they're trying to make films there, and I yeah. had a story that I thought maybe could go, be set there. So, but I have this character who says. There's this old um, theater director, this uh-huh. who's um, you know well past his prime, and he says you know something like maybe we have this wrong, like maybe birth is this terrible thing <laughs> that we should mourn, right? That you know a lifetime of hardship ahead of you, and then death is this kind of release, like this glorious release, right? Right. You've paid your dues. Now, now you get yeah, to relax, or, or, or that there might be like that. There's nothing to fear. Like maybe that maybe we just have it wrong, and, and our egos are such that we are so cling to the material and this thing we we know and can see and measure. Mm-hmm. And then I I just think there's a lot more going on. Well, I, I think know. well well I can sometimes in my worst moments and my more cynical moments believe that it it doesn't seem obviously fair, but it just seems like kind of a a jip. To to finally get a handle on something, you know, in the last quarter, <laughs> right, <laughs> right, 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 right. You know what I mean? It's like I understand it, and I can't pee. Yeah, like, exactly. Why? <laughs> I get it. I'm relaxed. Yeah. Now I can't go to the bathroom. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. Now, how do you frame, you know, w- what your life is? What do you do spiritually? Did you do the Jewish thing? Were you ever heavy into the Jewish thing? Did you do the Israel? I thing? mean, I, it was kind of what i came from but as but as a, as, a as middle, an adult kind of well as a middle class jew yeah. who was brought up in that you know you know i know you you know culturally identify but did the religion serve you spiritually no i think yeah i think not uh-huh. although i you know i went to israel by, for 9 weeks when i was uh in between my first and second year at nyu and i just kicked around uh-huh. and i ended up you know you go to israel you have nothing to do the next thing you know you're like with a bunch of orthodox people cuz they like really want you to hang out with them <laughs> the and, chabad people so yeah. yeah they just they're like come to my house for shabbos yeah, yeah, you know yeah. so i ended up um learning a lot and i i was actually quite moved by some of the it, it that kind of the the judaism that i saw there felt a little more alive to me and i came back and i actually went into a kind of crisis about whether i wanted to be an actor or not because it felt a little narcissistic and this was after uh, college this was before in, but in my second year of grad school oh really so to find yourself in the middle of like this intense training program be questioning whether you want to be an actor or not was not it was not my favorite stretch of time. Right. But um, then I got out of school. I, 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 I found my way back and I got out and I realized. Well, how long was that period? I mean, what? what it you, was a couple months. But I mean, you know? what, what were the options? Like, well, I should be doing service? I, yeah. Or, yeah. Like, do I do nonprofit something? Do I, uh, you know. Give I, back. Give back entirely. That's uh-huh. what I do. But then when I got out of school, it was more about, I found my way back to, to, a different way of, you know, relating to both self and, and the world because I thought if I don't do something, I'm going to go crazy, yeah. which was the negative voices in my head were so strong that I knew they would take me out. What, what were so, they saying? Y- you know, like you can't do this or you don't look right or she thinks you're So insecurity. You're it's just insecurity. Garden yeah. variety. Right. Junior high stuff carried onward. Yeah. And, 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 and it it's, blown it's, up. It's happening right. now yeah. with me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I'm not thinking any of those things no, you no, think yeah. I'm thinking. <laughs> no, I know. Okay, yeah. good. Thank um, you. And then, uh, and then I started meditating. And, and once I started meditating, I just got a different relationship to my thoughts kind of. 
you know what 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 kind of meditation i started doing like tm like a mantra meditation uh-huh so you'd meditate every day i do and and in the morning yeah in the morning and i try to get a second one in but uh, the for lately, how long 20 minutes about uh-huh. 20 minutes to a half hour and and okay so walk me through it you sit comfortably you sit comfortably and you start breathing you start breathing <laughs> and and a thought comes i mean yeah well about 30 you pick up the mantra right and then what's oh you can't share i it. can't share yeah okay yeah yeah, yeah. Could you, could, like, could, but it could be anything. It could be like, I'll I'm just whisper it this. into I'm the mic. I'm fucking doing this. That's a bad mantra. It is? Yeah, don't do that one. Uh, what's a mantra? What is I mean, it's an automatopoetic sound, so it doesn't even mean anything. It's okay. Like a, oh, a, so you, it's you like... You know, it's like... A, it just triggers your mind to calm down. And you go over and over again. Yeah. I mean, you're supposed to effortlessly think it, which is actually a very weird thing. Like, how do you effortlessly think? Don't you uh-huh. need a tiny bit of effort to even think something? Like, well, you can't... How do you... Well, you can kill anything with your brain. Well, yeah, but how do you... Uh, but essentially, you know, thoughts come and they're not bad. They're mm-hmm. just... It's unstressing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just okay. your thought, your mind throwing off thoughts like... And they're just... You just let them go. And when you realize you're off your mantra, you come back to it. It's really simple. It's nice. It's easy. And how do you feel when you're done? Um, sometimes you feel great and you feel like you really went up places. Other times you were just overrun with thoughts and you don't feel particularly great. And, it didn't uh, work. Not that it didn't work, you know, it's just, you just had a heavy dose of unstressing, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Like just, yeah. So, and how has this like changed your, your life really? I mean, I just made it like a non-negotiable part of my life. Like, and, but in, in just, the day to day, what tool does it give you? I think, um, so I think it gives you a different relationship to your thoughts. So if you're in a process where you're quiet during the day and yeah. it, we're not in a time where we're encouraged to be quiet on any level. Yeah. I mean, we're stimulated, bombarded with stimulus. Like you, you feel like you have to. You, we're, we're just being dragged by, uh, yeah. by demand. And the promise of technology was a false one, which is no, like, yeah. you'll have nothing but free time. No, no one has the any. Opposite. Now yeah. we're, we're completely we're bound by tethered it. to it. Exactly. Yeah. So I think it gives you, A, a time to just um, be quiet mm-hmm. and and be detached from that stuff. And also, when a thought comes by, Rather than it being good or bad or you, mm-hmm. you know, it's just like, oh, look at that. So uh, the God thing's not important. Uh, it is important. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't talk to a lot of people about God because oh. it's so provocative and it's so. I had, um, I had breakfast with Tim Minchin yesterday, who you should meet. Do you know that guy? I've met him before. Yeah, it's not pleasant. But oh, maybe I'll you, meet him again. You, you should, you should talk to him. Maybe, but he's a, a kind of hardcore materialist rational he's a musical act right yeah and he's he's very smart and yeah but it was you know we got into it and it it was like i don't i'd like to be friends with this guy but not have this conversation right because it it, is like you seem like a smart person how can you hang your hopes on bullshit yeah 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 but but i also you know what i said to him was look I was raised by a rational materialist father and a rational materialist my whole education. Like, I understand the scientific method. I understand science. I understand your arguments. But I also have um, tasted and danced in this other realm, which feels quite wonderful to me. And that if I'm only with that, I'm playing with half a deck. Mm. Right? Interesting. I said... You have only danced in this realm and deny the existence of this fight other, the other thing. One. And you fight, fight it with yeah. everything you and so I at least know what I'm on some level rejecting, but not even entirely rejecting. Yeah. But it's um I don't know, you know, there's a lot of I think the word God is so um it's been so sullied. I mean what yeah, bad I, press. Yeah. For me, you know? like I don't uh you know, my belief with others is that you know, if 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 you have a solid, you know, sense of faith that's based in in god consciousness right and it 
it enables you to have hope and and be a moral person and process things and diminish some of the existential terror that is so readily available. Right. Um, you, you know, good for you. God yeah. bless. My, I, I talked to my friend about it last night and he said, people who who are very kind of anti-God and, and even the concept, it's almost like they haven't sat with death on some level because when people are dying, they call out to God. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, well, you, but they, level, wanted, they wanted to mean something. Yeah, but there there seems to be some primal programming within us right. that has some dim memory of something Bigger. larger than sure. our, 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 you know. I, I recommend reading The Denial of Death to everybody that comes on this show. I don't know that book. Well, it's a very important book. It changed my life. And uh, I've talked about it many times here. Yeah. Ernest Becker, The Denial of Death, which is fundamentally about, you know, the, the, the almost you know primal need for for human consciousness to feel connected to something larger in order to define itself right and find comfort you know in the face of existential terror of mortality yeah but i feel that in some ways we have to choose our stories like for instance i could choose the story that i was like horrible and never gonna work and everyone hated me or i could choose a different story right yeah and i feel like i could also choose a story where i'm just like a you know, bag of neurons and molecules. That's an evolutionary accident. Yeah, but you can be, be both. But I think so. I mean, I think like, look, I'm this body's going away. Look, it's, if you, you know, like, you got to believe in poetry. You got to believe in magic. And the weird thing is, is that not magic, magic. But you see, the thing is, is like, you know, not everything is rational, yeah. and not everything can be explained. I mean, you can explain it by probability, by you know, like you know, coincidences can be deconstructed mathematically. Right. But the truth is, if you don't allow some room for something poetic, for something magic. Yes. For something surprising yeah. without the need to explain it or explain uh, it away, explain it away, yeah. you know, you do a great disservice to your heart. I 100% agree with that. And, and I believe that it's like I'm wary to say I believe in God because I have not identified it, but I am completely willing to have faith and think the best of people despite what people think of me. And I'm completely willing to look around me and go, like, this is really fucking amazing. Yeah. And you can't explain it. Yeah. And if I really think about it, I get overwhelmed. You know, you stand in front of a mountain and yeah sure i know there's geological realities there's weather realities there's agricultural realities there's you you know there's a lot of things happening but the majesty of it i choose to appreciate and not explain so i can feel it in my heart yeah like i would i would argue that that you know rationalists it's there's a fine line between that and just you know control freakness yeah i i kind of feel why talk to why argue with those people well, you but know? yeah why argue and also like it, it, it's it like i don't identify as an atheist but i have a hard time with with mythologies like i have a hard time with with naming god i have a hard time with um you know like saying i believe in god but i certainly have faith in something and i certainly don't seek to explain it away right right <laughs> I mean, but that to me is like it's kind of standing in the space of mystery and possibility. Well, people get mad at that too. Come on, you You got to decide one team or the other. I don't have to do anything for anybody. I know. You know, like it's it's like I don't want to go through the exercise of having you go. Yeah, see, I won. You can't answer. Yeah, and then also like your victory means what. Like yeah. for you, like, okay, great. Yeah. I now believe I'm a bag of bones. Yeah. Like, I, well, I, do, I do a bit about that, about, uh, you know, I did it on my special just about how it's really about winning. There's no solution. Right, there. right, right, right. You know, you know, if you're going to talk someone out of their God, you better put something else in its place other than this rudimentary idea that everything being explained by math equations. Right, right. You do, know what do, I mean? Do you know David Eagleman, the, the uh, neuroscientist? He, 
he says that science knows like five to ten percent of what there is to know. Like literally, there's like ninety to ninety five percent. They have no idea. Yeah. And and matter itself, there's only four percent of the universe's material. Yeah. So there's ninety six percent that's dark matter. We don't know what it is. It's not nothing. We just don't know what it is. Yeah. So he rather than he says science can't declare atheism, it can't declare belief, and he calls himself a possibilian. Yeah. Which is really cool. He said <laughs> that's what I, you know. And all these people are like, yeah, I'm, I believe in possibilianism. You know. Yeah. So where does your where does the reincarnation thing play in that you mentioned? I don't know. It just like some, <laughs> just like some weird. You know, it's weird though. Here's what I really believe though. Yeah. Is that like. Who knows if that's going to be true or it's not going to be true? Yeah. All right, first of all. Yeah. And, you know, if, if you want to entertain that and, it, and it, it makes you feel hope or good or curious or it's provocative to you, it's like, that's your right. And, you know, why not? There's no, like, there's no, you, you could keep it to yourself. You could share it with other people. Yeah. You're probably better if you keep it to yourself. But the truth of the matter is hanging your hope on something yeah. you know, is a personal activity. You know, you have to get to a certain point in your life where you have the time and space and resources to even chew on these questions. Sure. Like, if you if you don't have a place to live... No. And you don't know where your food's coming from. Like you can't. You're not gonna, unless unless you actually don't have those things because you've chewed on these questions. <laughs> right. <laughs> you're just you're, you're that guy. Yeah, just yeah, yeah. Meditating, working it out. Yeah. Well, let's go back before we uh, talk about um, you know the show you've been doing for half your life <laughs> that that I I quite honestly know not enough about. That's cool. No, it's, it's not. It's not cool. I should do research. But how am I going to research? I'm going to sit down and watch nine seasons. Uh, yeah. <laughs> don't do that <laughs> but the last show's on tonight yeah yeah is there something you can spoil for everybody well it's a two-parter and it is yeah yeah it's an hour long oh so but it's all gonna happen tonight yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Do, are people gonna get closure i i think that i think yeah i think that's something that they'll get <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah it's it's all gonna pay off i mean look there's a lot of kind of dangling threads of the show and they they almost hit all of them they, they get everything well what was the plan of the show initially like I, you couldn't have imagined i mean i guess this is the best of all worlds it's even better than the best i mean how many did you do 200 208 so so like it's going to be in syndication for the rest of your life you're going to be making money while you're sleeping for the next 20 years and did you have any real i guess that's the hope when you get a role on a sitcom but yeah. this has been a defining thing but you know what is interesting and i gotta give you credit is that you know i saw a Soloway's movie you know afternoon delight which i liked a lot and i had her and Catherine yeah. hahn in here and you did a great job in that thank you and the thing that you did a great job at which is just of no power of your own just by virtue of the fact that you're a good actor is that and also by the fact that i, I you know i'm not uh, obsessively watching the other show is that i didn't associate you with anything oh that's good it is good yeah because that's a tricky thing, man. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> there's different phases of an actor's life. I mean, the first phase is no one knows who I am and no one wants to hire me. And then if you're lucky, you get a part that becomes like, that's what people know you for. And then you have another problem, which, which is, is trying to get out from that. under that. Exactly. Well, that's a TV actor specifically. TV for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And a hit TV show exactly. specifically. Exactly. Like there's there's certain people that, that have made the jump. But I don't want to lose my train of thought. So... When you were in high school, was this where you were going? No, I, I was just like a stage obsessed. I was theater obsessed. You know, because I'm noticing on the levels here, you were you were one of the rare um, 
people that project perfectly because you're not even on top of that mic and the levels are great and I, I <laughs> commend you for that and your ability to to detach from your tv part oh so oh. Yeah, I'm, I'm just blowing smoke up your ass left and wow. right to make up for the fact that i've watched three episodes of your of on your airplanes show. when you had no choice <laughs> <laughs> i get it i get it but am i the target audience the, I, I don't know it, I, i'll tell you there's no such thing as a target audience at this point point. i have met time. people i have you know, uh, people, it cuts across everything now. It's not, you think like, oh, it's like urban 20-somethings love right. the show. College kids right. love the show. It's not. It's ev- it's a lot of people. Well, because the ensemble's so fucking good. I mean, you know, when it comes right down to, you know, the success of sitcoms, I mean, whatever the context is, yeah. it's, you know, it's, it's how just, you... do you want to spend time with these people? Yeah, yeah. Ultimately. And they're great people. I mean, yeah. Jason's great. Yeah. Yeah, everybody's yeah, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, we really hit the... I mean, a lot of shows where you have that kind of ensemble, when they don't work, it looks like, oh, they got cast. Yeah. Like, it literally mm-hmm. looks like just a bunch of that's actors right. that that's got right. the parts. That's that's why things don't make it past that pilot. Exactly. And yeah. for our, for whatever reason, we felt like a bunch of people to sit around and drink beer all day together. And did that last? Um, we never lost the feeling of um, that we really felt like we were friends sitting around. Like, we, I, I always describe it more like family than friends in that yeah. we didn't pick each other. Right. And we saw each other on our best days and our worst days and all that. Right. And we didn't, uh, after the first season, we weren't really hanging out and having dinner. That's what everyone wants to believe. We had lives. Like, we had, you know, yeah. everyone had, people had kids and projects. and But when we were there, it was always super easy and felt, organic in yeah. a really cool way that is an interesting thing about that though like even when i've done radio or something where you spend four hours a day with this guy who's your guy mm-hmm. you know you're talking on the air and you're working like sometimes when you get done with that you're like you don't what are you going to hang out what, more? Like you don't want to bring the office home with yeah, you yeah exactly yeah. you know and then people assume like you guys all must be no i can't i know i mean you, i'm sure you have everyone's phone number I but, got him. Yeah, there. I can text him right now. I don't care. I'll text him right now. He's like, Jason, what's up, man? But um, okay. So the plan was th- was stage. Yeah, yeah. But it was also like when I fell hard for acting, I got really scared because no one from my family was an actor. No one from my community your mom was do? an actor. She's a. She was an elementary school teacher, and then she was mom, and she so was a guidance many, counselor. I'll tell you, man. So many people who are creative people have parents who are teachers. It's very interesting. Uh, yeah. To me. Yeah. And I think that I think I don't know what that says, but they must have been you know, reluctantly supportive. They were cautiously supportive. My dad only realized uh, better re- word. Cautiously. Yeah. He revealed to me years later how terrified he was, but he 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 held it. You know, yeah. he, he, he hit it, which was really good for me because he wanted you to be happy and, and be able yeah, to I mean I, I was also very uh, judicious and kind of um, smart about how, how I revealed information and when so I would what does that mean so, so like they didn't you've want me to go you've got it all figured out you've got mentality figured they, out they, 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 no I have not got it all figured <laughs> out please I, I they did not want me to go get like a BFA like go to Juilliard or something. Sure, they sure, wanted me to get a liberal arts degree that was the, the requirement right so I they also wanted me to, to not major in drama but I ended up just spending most of the time in the theater department. I mean, I took all kinds of classes, but I ended up declaring a drama major, which they were okay with because it was kind of more academic. But then every summer I would go to do theater, you know, on the East Coast or I went, I, every summer I was actually doing it. So Like, like uh, stock? Yeah, stock? yeah, like non-equity so were, companies. But and, you were, so you were castable pretty early on, you got a handle on it. I don't know that I was castable as much as I just was really enthusiastic and, and you know, found the places and, I wanted to And go. what plays did you do in high school? I always like trying to picture the, the, the plays that people do the depressed. first uh the first play i did was oklahoma 
chorus. Yeah. yeah. The second play I did was uh, Cabaret. I played the MC in Cabaret, which was kind of a watershed moment for me. That's where people started going, you could maybe do this. And you were yeah. singing. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. So you can sing. Uh, yeah. I, when when asked. I don't do it like, <laughs> I don't just do it all the time. It's more like, we, we need to just sing right now. Yeah. And then I'll kind of... But, it's, but the yeah. high school experience for a lot of people who act as musicals, mm-hmm. so that's what you do. It's also the most fun thing. I mean, I my community is pretty homogenous you know yeah and uh you know socioeconomic and everything and i started working at this children's theater that every summer would do um uh, musicals with like 16 to 21 year olds but it was from all over central ohio it was kind of like the best people yeah would go for the summer mm-hmm. so i did like joseph and the amazing technicolor dream coach jesus christ superstar into the woods were you jesus i was pontius Pilate. i had to uh-huh. kill jesus Come on, Jew. Uh, exactly. <laughs> Let the um, Jew kill Jesus. Exactly. Don't think it. I didn't notice. Yeah. Who, who directed that show? <laughs> um, yeah. And then I just found like I felt home. I felt at home there. I felt at home among the difference, like the combustible weirdness of everyone being there. But all we just were drunk on the theater together. It's a, it's know? a pretty amazing thing because I, I, even last night I was and I, and I notice this a lot now that like I'm fifty or whatever. But like I was waiting to go on stage at the Redondo Performance Arts Center just for Adam Carolla's podcast. You know, it was like half a house, but you know, there's a big it's a big theater you yeah. know, that someone built at some time and then you had the big flats and and I'm just behind the curtain wandering around waiting to go on and you have that moment you're like this is this is my life yeah I'm in show business oh yeah it, it has <laughs> not ever dimmed for me that feeling it's like cool. you know when you go you go like you go see a friend like in a Broadway play right and you kind of like get to peek out on the stage in the empty house yeah it still feels really holy to me it, like, it is like it really especially in empty theater there's something in liberal arts there's a scene in an empty theater that I used to perform in because we shot it at Kenyon uh-huh. and to me I don't know there was something so magical about being able to go in there well the weird thing is is that once you you know you have some chops and, and you know you've been in the life for a while you don't always think of it that way because you're sort of like well I'm going out and I'm going to do my thing right but then like when you really step back from it and realize what you've committed your life to and, and you can't quite identify you know the difference you know what happens between behind stage and on stage and the magic right. that you enter the space for me I'm, i guess i'm just projecting but like sometimes i'm just fascinated when i'm on stage with somebody else and i'm watching them talk and there's a, an audience of hundreds there and there's just a person talking but there it's magic yeah i i also <laughs> i do this thing where I try to, you know, when, when things happen to you, I think in show business and not, you, we metabolize them very quickly. You're like, right, so you something right that you couldn't it. imagine happening, suddenly that's your life. Yeah. Whether it's good or bad, you just, you process it very yeah. quickly. And I always try to remember um, the, like the 16 year old me. Yeah. Like how psyched he would be. Or terrified or for terrified. me. <laughs> yeah. But he would be pretty psyched. Like, yeah, yeah. I, and, and, and I think I exceeded his kind of dreams on some level which is I don't know if they were dreams sure. but like that's a pretty cool thing and and also I also think about the fact that a 16 year old boy in Ohio decided what I was going to do for my life because not a lot of people that happens to yeah, a lot yeah, of people yeah, yeah. you know that's, a, that's sure. that that was fortuitous you know? I never thought of it that way because yeah. like I always felt like I want to do comedy I had no idea how that happens because like at least when you want theater when you're 16 you're like well I can go do a little of that I right. get a feel for that. Like I had this weird thing that, like, I don't know how anyone does that. When did you start doing it? In college, I tried it a couple times in college. You know, at at events. You yeah. know, at at uh, college shows. But you know, it wasn't until after I really maybe my third or fourth year of college where I actually went into a comedy club. But I was, 
you know there was no joy in it i it was it was i was just paralyzed with terror all the did time they go they must have gone well enough for you to want to do more well i think it's a compulsion you know the, the i think the beauty about acting is that you can enter this zone and and enter a character and and be supported by you know a cast and a lighting person and there's a community behind it right you know with comedy it's sort of like you're this lone wolf it is the starkest scariest it, it kind very of thing. Yeah, yeah and it's sort of like you know you're not sure you, you know you need to get laughs yeah but you know you you've got you've got your three jokes when you're starting you right. got five minutes and all you do all week is worry about yeah. when you're gonna go up there with your shit yeah so so i don't so it was more of a a, a sickness than than a, <laughs> yeah than a, like a, but the victory is purely yours and the failure is purely yours that's exactly you, you know right I mean? and to have that stage to be on that stage I, I think about that a lot a lot too as a performer is sort of like you kind of earn your territory mm-hmm. you know on stage like how am i going to own this thing Right, you, you know, and it's really up to you as a comic. It's sort of like you 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 push, you pull, and, and eventually you fit. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, all right. So, so in high school, you do musicals. Yeah. When was the first? You know, how ridiculous was the first serious role? Oh, I went to I went to Kenyon, and my first play was about a, a schizophrenic poetess. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Were, were you the doctor? Uh, or I was no, I was her boyfriend. Like, oh. like it was. I it was. I, I think, think it was I... called Standing on My Knees or something. Well, is it like I a... don't even remember. But it was. Uh, yeah, it was like suddenly I was, and it was in like a the lower cafeteria. You know yeah. what I mean? Like where they put theater <laughs> wherever they can find it. Like, <laughs> yeah. ah. Not the. It wasn't the drama school. Was the it was the other the stage troupe or whatever? Yeah, it was like it was like a. Um, offshoot like one of the little they had like eight drama clubs at Kenyon so it was like but that's just a liberal arts college right yeah but it like there's I think there's footage of me actually doing what was that play that horrible play was it called Extremities where the guy locks that woman in oh yeah yeah yeah. like there's footage of me doing that at like 19 or 20 when you fully understood (laughs) what was going on (laughs) just intense and angry and off and I did it for a Someone, some guys, someone was in a TV uh, production class, so they wanted to shoot it. Right. So it wasn't even a play. So it's it was, preserved. Yeah, yeah. So you so can watch it all the time. Yeah, I, I don't know who has a copy I always of. love, like, in college and grad school, mm-hmm. how you got to play, like, old guys. I know you do. I But, but I love, I did um, Awake and Sing, the Clifford Odets play. I played, like, the communist grandfather in that play my third year How was the NYU. makeup? How was the makeup? It was pretty good, but I looked like uh, that actor Armin Mueller-Stahl. Do you remember that guy oh. from Shine? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah with yeah, the mustache. Yeah, yeah. And... Uh, for so I really I really think it was maybe one of the best things I've ever done cuz I didn't know any better. Like I didn't know this is ridiculous. I'm right. 24. Why am I playing this 70-year-old <laughs> communist from wherever he was yeah, from? Yeah, yeah. And but there's something that you throw yourself into those things and you actually have moments of magic because you don't know any better. Yeah. And when you get out into show business, they're like, "No, you look like this and you'll be playing this." Yeah. You know, right, it's right. very like narrow right. what they expect you to do. So uh, so what did you so you got a drama undergrad degree? I did. I got a BA and then I went to NYU. But what was your minor? Uh, Were you, was did it I English have one? Or, well, or, I was going to be an English major, but at, I was going to double major. But at Kenyon, you had to do compulsory exams, like like a you had to either do a huge kind of thesis or mm-hmm. and the drama comps were actually kind of hard. You had to do a production and oral defense of it and a big test at the end of the. What year. do you mean a production? You had to direct you, it. You, I started. I did this Donald Margulies play called Sight Unseen, and then you have to have an oral defense with the professors where they kind of pick it apart. Really? Yeah. 
What, but that's, I thought that's only happening graduate level. It's, uh, it's a thing at Kenyon. You have to, every major has compulsory exams. I'm pretty sure they still do. So would they just grill you? Yeah. <laughs> really? Basically. Like, uh, yeah. like what kind of, like, so you do, so you just acted in that play? Yeah. And they're, what are they like, why'd you make that choice? Kind of. But you know, the play was nonlinear. It was told all, and they were asking all sorts of questions. I, I ultimately realized they were asking playwriting questions that I couldn't answer. Uh-huh. And I, I think, you know, it was fine. Everything was fine. So, okay. So you graduate, you do good undergrad. I did. I, I and did. you felt you felt confident as an actor. I mean, I did. I I actually had logged a lot of hours uh-huh. on stage. Uh huh. Now, were you doing all the other stuff too, or, or yeah, everything? Like, did you build sets? Oh, and, oh. Uh, you know, do... I did that when I apprenticed at like like theaters. You know, where you have to hang lights and do concessions in addition in summer to summer stock. Yeah. That's because that's part of the whole thing, yeah, right? Yeah. It's kind of a, it's like a, it's an interesting little community. It's kind of sad when things end. I guess it's the same with a TV show. Like, you, yeah, and I'm prone to nostalgia, so it's are never you? good. Oh, yeah. Really? What are you nostalgia yeah. about the the you the pre successful you? Um, what am I nostalgia about? Like, I mean, <laughs> you know, I can get I can work myself up into a nostalgic kind of lather about anything. Really? Like even even time, and it just has to do with time itself passing. Right, but is it is it the, in the form of like things were better then, or is it in the form of like oh remember just when we that, used to just that. It's over and not, and it will never be again. Uh, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I do know. I try to stay out of it, even though like I surround myself with all the garbage of my entire life. Right, right. I have books from college. I have you know photographs of my first girlfriend there. My you know my second wife. I it's like ridiculous because like some people be like, "Well, are you hanging on to that?" No, but that was those big periods of your life. I know, and I do question how much I should be steeped in that kind of stuff. Well, I don't think about it all the time, but in some days I think, like, why not get rid of all of it? Mm-hmm. Because, like, if it's in your heart, it's in your heart. You don't have to have triggers. Is there something comforting? Is this some indication that, like, oh, I've lived, I, I've collected all this shit? What do you surround yourself with that you think you should get rid of? Um, I mean, I some my house isn't in you know it's not it's not like this dump. No, I know, I'm kidding. I know. No, I'm a little bit of a stacker. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you have I'm not I, a hoarder. I'm a stacker. Yeah, I have I have you know the posters and the things and from, from and it was place. kind of you know about the the set you know like everyone keeps asking. It's like the, these journalists or these reporters. Like, what are you going to take from the set? Like, is a big yeah. thing which I didn't even realize we were supposed to take anything, but yeah. I did end up taking. What did you take? I took uh, this iconic prop for for my character is this blue French horn, uh-huh. which is something he steals for this girl in the very first episode, and it kind of recurs throughout. Uh-huh. So the, Carter and Craig, the creators of the show, gave it to me. Oh, and and that's something you know very sweet to have. Yeah, but um, yeah, yeah. I, 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 were you guys uh, were you tearing up on that last episode? Or you know, what? it was like a two. How many week, times have you been asked that? It was question? a two week kind of thing. I got really teary. Everyone did at the table read. The final table read was pretty emotional. Um, really? Yeah, yeah. Everyone's kind of. And then the up. last moment, it was Siegel had his last day, um, and it was the the scene where the five of us were going to be together for the last time. Mm-hmm. That was pretty emotional. They, you know. Were people kind of crying? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, Han- Allison Hannigan, like they they actually wrote her character into the whole episode crying because they mm-hmm. knew she was just going to cry no matter what. So why don't we just have her character crying? And she was actually happy about that. She's like, really smart move. You know, um, uh, they know her. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. Uh, you know it's. Uh, but then I had a lot of emotions that were. I found myself actually really the last day. I was really like 
um, sensitive and angry about things. And I was like, wow, I'm just a mess right now. Like I, I, sometimes I don't, you weren't able to feel. Yeah. The, like, and then I started to feel things a few days after, you know, so you'd have a delayed response. And, yeah. Well, like it's weird when you really find out that, you know, when some sort of like kind of an entire shift in your life, you know, something you've been committed to for so long is really going away. It's like a yeah. mourning process. And, so. and and very few people, especially actors, have that stark a demarcation line. I mean, right. nine years is like a long... Who does anything for nine years anymore? Like anywhere, you know, in any profession. Like. I just can't believe that. Like, it's weird because like when I met you that time, I I automatically feel a connection to people in, in general. And that like, I, I knew you were hanging out with Jesse. I knew, you know, her and we're Jewish. And so I, so I had something invested mm -hmm. in, in, in whatever moment moment we like right but initially it was probably like no that guy just got out here and he's got a show already so you're like, <laughs> i hadn't been out I mean, i've been I, out here longer I know, than you I thought i had but you're a very nice guy and uh, and because of that like now the second time we even talk it's like on the other side of this it's nine years later i know i know it's weird and that's also scary because of the like I, I i don't know if this i don't even think this is a, this is going to be very stupid what i'm saying but like time is moving fast like and it seems to be just really moving fast in a way that is alarming. A lot of that's what liberal arts is about because I went back to Kenyon to show my first movie and suddenly everyone was calling me Mr. Radner. Oh, yeah. And I was I like, know, I, know. I was just drinking out of that keg right yeah, there. Yeah, like, yeah, how yeah. are you? And I realized I was nearly twice as old as like the freshman there. And that really freaked me out. So I, I, because there's part of a special, you're not married. No. And it, yeah, well, I mean, it's weird if you, if you, because I'm the same way. I'm not married. I've been. Yeah, you know, I don't have kids, and right. I think that something gets tempered. Yes, about your acknowledgement of of age. Yes. when you have those kind of responsibilities. When you don't, there's part of you that's sort of like, hey, I know these kids. These are this is me. Yeah, right. and the central <laughs> thing, Richard Jenkins in liberal arts. You know, he he tells me he's since he was 19, he's never felt not 19. Right, like he's but his face in the mirror. He can't believe that it's not a 19 year old face. Yeah, you know, and then. The, the, the line in that scene that he says at the end is, um, nobody feels like an adult. That's the world's dirty secret. That's your dialogue. Yeah. You're a big thinker, man. <laughs> I, it's reflected. I don't, uh, yeah, it's just. You don't, you don't like when, when you're writing, I, you don't know what your process is, but it, what with the first film, was that lighter than liberal arts? Mm, they're both kind of a mix of, you know, funny, sad. But do you find that you're working out like, you know, because you seem to be weighing the bigger questions yeah. and you seem to have a, a dialogue around a lot of them. Yes. And it, but do you learn more about that dialogue through your characters or do you 100%. I mean, I write, I, I, I'll get a big, so for liberal arts, for instance, I said, okay, um, 35 year old guy doesn't have a lot going on. Right. Goes back to his college that he loves for his favorite professor's retirement dinner. Right. Meets and falls for a 19 year old sophomore. Right. Like that's what I had just as the bones. Which is like thing. in and of itself, like, you know, as a story, you know, it's, it's completely relatable and, and yeah, not, it felt yeah. like there was a lot to it. But as I started writing, it became about time, nostalgia, aging, um, books, uh -huh. why we read, uh -huh. what the purpose is of an education, how a uh, liberal arts education can both serve you and also get in your way on some level. Well, what, what, now, what did you learn about that? Um, how does it serve you? Because I, I know it, how it served me. I mean, I think it serves you, it serves, I mean, critical thinking, empathy, you know, stepping into Opening other Opening your shoes. mind. Yeah. Um, empathy, what, what interesting. Was, there's a James Baldwin quote I just saw that was so amazing about um, the the... The, more, the loneliness he feels in the world uh, um, is it corresponds, it, it goes down, essentially, the more books he reads. Mm -hmm. 
So the more connection he can make with other people are feeling these things too. Right. It makes you feel less alone in the world. He sure. said it much more beautifully than I just did. Well, I think that's important about conversation in yeah. general. Yeah. Yeah. And not just books, but I imagine if you were stranded mm-hmm. that, you know, reading books would, it, so you're saying it kind of, it grows your capacity for emotional understanding. For, yeah, certainly. And it, and it exposes you to, obviously to other cultures and other perspectives and other, all these things. And it exposes you to other people who are um, chewing on these big ideas all at the same time at a very sensitive time. I mean, that college age time is a if very, you take advantage of it. Yeah. And I speak to I do. I do a lot of college speaking and I actually love doing it because I find that those you seem like a teacher. <laughs> I've come from teachers, but they're they're kids who are like really open. And, and I think that even today, like the college kids in my unscientific sampling of them seems um, they seem less cynical. Uh-huh. You know, they seem like really I think open kids to seem stuff. less cynical in general. Yeah, I think that when I grew up, you're what thirty? What'd you say? Thirty nine. Yeah, yeah. So you're you're ten years younger than me. But when I grew up, there was still this weird crashing wave of the '60s. Yep. And there was a, a type of, you know, you were aspiring to, you know, your role models were different. A lot of them were grittier and and and, and I, yeah. I, I just think in general that that kids are a little more detached from. I think culturally everything's changed. I think they know a lot more. Yeah, I think and I'm sure the internet has something to do with that sure. like, like uh, you know in the same way it's like the Baldwin thing like actually seeing you know if you're a lonely kid living in wherever yeah. and you feel like you can actually find a community online that are a bunch of little yous and we're going to assume that's good I sometimes it could not be good. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I've I have no idea, man. I, I don't. I, I, it's still the wild west. It really is. Yeah, in yeah. terms of what these generations are going to, they're all going to adapt. I mean, that's the other thing that once you get to a certain age and you find yourself saying things like, you know, when I was younger, it's like that's been said every generation. And obviously, things are a lot different now. Yeah. But you know, people are still people. They they're still contained in this vessel. They're only yeah. capable of one thing, and adapting is one of them. Yeah. But you know, the nuts and bolts of emotions are going to be what they're going to be, right? Yeah. Well, one of the things in liberal is you know she says she she basically feels like he's patronizing her like when i you know uh, uh, like i feel different now than i felt when i was here and she's like but every stage is hard yeah but he says but yeah but i felt things when i was here that i no longer feel and you don't know like for instance you know i always think about how i met your mother was on nine years that's high school plus college plus one year yeah like that, imagine how different you were your freshman year of high school to your first year out of college well you were 30 yeah yeah. Do you feel like you do? Do you think? Do you feel that you were able to sort of mature through that, or do you think that you were some sort of suspended? In uh, a way? You know, it's both. Honestly, I mean, I feel I had massive changes go on, but I also look at my life, and it's not that much. I mean, I'm still kicking around. I'm still like no. You seem for... very very similar that, uh, to the three minutes that I talked to you last time. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've worked at that. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think it's important in, in, in show business. You kind of got to, like, choose your heroes wisely. Who are and yours? You, um, just, like, nice, awesome people that I've met along the way that you kind of collect and say, you know, you work. We had a ton of great older actors come through How I Met Your Mother, and I thought, oh, this person's great. Did you develop you relationships know? with them? Yeah, I've hung on to, you know, like Brian, uh, Brian Cranston was on pre-Breaking Bad, John Lithgow, Franny Conroy, uh, Martin Short, like, just awesome and people. And you're friends with them? I'm yeah I'm I'm having dinner with Martin Short tonight actually we yeah. must be entertaining I, I have we've never done it but uh we'll oh really see. yeah yeah what, I'll uh, let you know what why now because we'd been trying to do it you uh-huh. know I, I ran it I, we did the the thing and then I ran into him after we saw Pippin uh-huh. you know and I saw him backstage and we just struck up this funny conversation and decided to have dinner but. isn't that but isn't that interesting like just coming from that like obviously, you know you you're on this hit show, but but you know to come from where where you were when I met you, 
And then there, there's that moment where you're like, can I hang out with Martin? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I still have it a little bit. I'm like excited, but I'm, yeah. I'm also like, how many Three Amigos questions am I allowed? Right. And <laughs> you know what, what are we going to talk about? Can we talk about inner space? <laughs> <laughs> Remember that movie? Yeah. Where he went in the, yeah. Yeah. In the Dennis sh- Quaid in his body. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But he's a, he's like, he's got great stories and he's a yeah. very funny guy. It's weird also to be um, working alongside people that you grew up watching. I know that always. I mean, I don't know. I know from talking to them, but but, but <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it must be a trip. Yeah, and it's great because it also is a great leveler. You yeah. know, you feel like we're we have a common thing. Like we're doing the same thing. Like when I watch, I think John Lithgow is like a tr- totally great talent and a, the nicest guy in the world. And I watch him, and I'm like, I. I, he does it better than I do, but I do the same thing he does. You know, we're in the same biz. Yeah, you're, it's a profession. Yeah. And, and that's an amazing moment to reach a level of, of professionalism and also yeah. career where where you accept that and and you realize that. Yeah, there's, it's a mixture of both art and craft. Yeah. Like, like you're, you, it's like watching a carpenter or something. Like you're like, they, look at what they do, but they do it extra special or something. Sure. And well, I'm you, always stealing from people. You know, you're always watching people so you can steal stuff from like them. Like what and, technique or, yeah, or, 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 like, or like what? Like, 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 like if, you, uh, if you're I watching Lithgow, what did you learn from him? Well, I did a series that didn't go anywhere with Sally Field. Before? Before, yeah. It was called The Court about the Supreme Court. Uh, I was one of her clerks. And I was just shocked at how little it looked like she was doing. And uh-huh. then you'd watch it back and you'd see how much she was doing and it was i had come from the i had come from the theater so i was all like get it to the back of the house and i found that there was something about um the minimalism of it oh and this is weird and maybe i should bring this up tonight but i think this was a martin short quote that i've always thought about where he said people say in the theater you be as big as you can and on screen you be as small as you can he said it's actually the reverse Uh, in the theater you try to be as small and subtle as you can but still have it read to the back row Uh and in film you want to be as expressive as you can without being too big for the frame tricky it's tricky really tricky and i still feel like i'm refining it all the time well i i found that too like i worked with uh oh it's like it's weird i'm talking to you and i and i i've completely dismissed the fact that i've done two seasons of my own show i'm like <laughs> this guy's an actor like but i'm not i'm not like i was not a trained actor but like even working with sally kellerman who played my mother yeah you know like we'd go over these takes we go over these takes and and when you're in it you have after a few after a few takes you have no idea what you have and right. you can't tell what you know what makes people great and then when you watch it back you're like right. oh my god well a lot of times um like like either movies i've directed or um, how I Met Your Mother, you think you're like doing great acting because yeah. it feels like this is great. You're yeah, like throwing yeah. a chair across. Yeah. And then you watch it and you're like, that's grotesque. Yeah. And then something where you just weren't even, you were just listening, for instance. Yeah. And you find yourself like, wow, that's really watchable. Well, that's the trickiest thing is listening. Yeah. Like I, when you watch yourself, you're able to, to, like I know when I do okay and I'm better at watching myself, but yeah. do you find that when you judge yourself harshly and watching in the edit that maybe you're the only one that notices? Well, yes, of course you're going to be a hardest critic, but the the greatest thing I did for myself as an actor was uh, edit myself, to direct two movies that I was in. And you lose, um, you become, I became really... Um, ruthless with myself but not in a super judgmental way at a certain point it was it wasn't even like oh i look good or i look bad i was just like okay i get what i look like right y- you know there was some sort of acceptance of like that's what i look like right that's what I, I don't like when i make that face i'm never going right. to choose those takes <laughs> but but you get really good at um I, I i just found that i learned a lot about myself as an actor and i and and editing myself is has been just as valuable for me as an actor that, as anything i've ever done but it's interesting i've talked to a few actors and i'm and not to to disregard um you know anyone's gonna 
who has a conversation is going to give me what they're going to give me. But it seems like you've got a lot of plate spinning for an actor. <laughs> well, I think also um, because you want to direct, you are a, a writer. Couple, a couple people told me early on. They said you might not get everything you need from acting. Mm-hmm. Like I think there's a few people. Like uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, to me, I just watched it flawless last night. Which yeah, I, I, he he had a career that was like so big, mm. like so big, like he did everything. Mm-hmm. And to me, that would be that would that's a satisfying career. I mean, I um, there's so few people that actually can kind of call their shots as an actor and actually do really meaningful creative work all the time. Do you want to go to the depths that he went to? No, no, <laughs> no, not even no. Yeah. I mean, maybe once with the great director who's going to support me and hold my hand the whole way but that's not i work from joy honestly like i don't work from when i'm depressed i can't create but what if you were called upon because even in like i really like jill's movie yeah and there was a turn in that character that you played life where you know you know his wife is starting to drift and then when the reality comes the, the struggle of accepting what she wants to do in order to sort of you know like you know save the marriage in a way right that you know you you know it was it was heavy because i've you know i've been married and you know and you you played that frustration which was relatively dark yeah you know when you that that stuff i like i mean i like complicated interesting like i'm supposed to do this indie that is super dark and like i'm happy to do that i just don't want to you know expose a vein all the time Mm -hmm. you know do you have it to expose i think i do but 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 i need um I need to feel safe on some level or that, uh-huh. that the, the space is held uh-huh. and that I try to create that for actors when I, you know, do stuff. So it's interesting. So when you do an indie film or stuff like, and, and, and they might have these expectations of you there, there, there's sometimes a moment where you're like, I, I don't feel comfortable, you know, doing that. You're right. Well, here. Soloway, I mean, I'll do anything for sure. Her, sure. You know, sure. Um, but like they're like the idea of feeling safe or that someone's going to hold the space, you know, takes some, you know, some gravitas to do that. I think so. But you also, the longer you do it, you become someone who can kind of bring that in, you know, you bring your own, I don't know what I'm trying to say, but you, 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 you bring that with you, that, sure. that, that permission, right? You give yourself permission to do it or you don't, you know, but I think if you're working on a project you believe in, you'll give yourself permission to kind of go there, so to speak. Now, how do you feel like now? Okay. So tonight's the, the final episode. Everyone's going to get, you think it's going to be a satisfying close for all the, the, the fans? I think that it'll, um, piss people off in the same way that everything pisses everyone off. I was not and pissed I, off at all with the end of Breaking Bad. I, I felt like I got closure. I let it go. But, but you know, <laughs> just even subjecting yourself to the online landscape, it's like some people like think well, how gonna, I met your mother was brilliant for four seasons, then got terrible. But like, there's also I, people that are just going to miss you. I think maybe that's what they're saying. They get mad at you. Why are you leaving? Because they miss you. Yeah, yeah. And there has been a really deep emotional kind of outpouring of sadness over the show ending, which is, I think, a testament to us doing a good job. No, absolutely. You know? And and you had your own sadness. And now that you've done it, and I've got to assume you're okay financially for a little while, you're going to go right into uh, to writing and directing and making I think a so. I mean, I have a couple of other things. I'm going to do a play this summer. Um, Where? At New York Stage and Film at Va- up at Vassar, this Richard Greenberg play. Wait, wait, what, what, what kind of production is that? It's just a. This where they kind of workshop new plays outside of the eye of the New York critics, kind of thing. So, so you're can, just going to go do a little acting, yeah, yeah, yeah. get yeah, back I'll on stage. Little, yeah, I was, and I, I, that was one of the places I went. I was 19 years old. I went. I was an acting apprentice. So you're. That's they, brought, oh. they brought me back like every six or seven years. It's really. I think they like to trot me out for the apprentices and be like, "See, yeah, he did all right. You can do Look it. This kid, you can do it." Well, let's go back to that. So when you went to where you went to Tish, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, it's a real good one. Yeah. 
Now, what was the program like there? I mean, like, because I, like, I can really feel that you seem to have your craft in place. I'm very impressed with the way, with the tenor of your voice. Oh, thanks. But my levels. Yeah. But what, <laughs> uh, you know, what, what, how did you evolve? What, who were some of the, the kind of life changing, you know, outside of the Martin Short quote and watching other actors or, or seeing the subtlety of Sally Field? You know, who would you consider a mentor early on? So when I went to Vassar, I was 19. It was... This um, before co- this was in co- It was in between my uh, sophomore and junior year at Kenyon. Right. So I went there for the summer. Um, my father was like, actually revealed to me, he said, well, he's never acted outside of Ohio. He's going to get slaughtered by all these East Coast, you know, don't, Isn't geniuses. it weird? Don't you feel on some level that there isn't a statute of limitations on what your parents can tell you about what was really going on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's constant. They're, they reveal more things the older I know, you get. And, and you're it's like, crazy. God, wow. Eventually, you're like, was my whole life a lie? Yeah. You, like, <laughs> you had a really robust inner narrative going on about me <laughs> that I had no idea. Thank uh, God. You, you know? Yeah. The, so the question is maybe they should just keep it to themselves yeah yeah so but, he, it, but they do become more they disclose more as the years uh, yes. go on it's true it's yeah. true um so i i was there that summer and we had they, they did two shakespeare and your dad was counting on you failing exactly in yeah. a way yeah. yeah he just thought he'll go to law school eventually sure and um i ended up getting Macbeth in the you know i ended up getting like the lead of one of the shakespeare productions and i remember calling my parents on the payphone and they were really stunned and i don't think entirely happy maybe right. <laughs> <laughs> like oh this thing's continuing <laughs> um but i had a great summer there and i had one of the great things about being at vassar and one of the things i try to do i go to the apprentices production because i remember Remember when there's a great actor, Peter Frechette. Do you know Peter Frechette? He was on 30 something. He's just an amazing stage actor. Um, and Jane Kaczmarek, mm-hmm. who was on Malcolm in the Middle, mm-hmm. not not at that point. But they were two, I, I did running crew for a production they were in, and they were two people who came and saw me in these productions. And they both separately pulled me aside and said, You're going to be an actor. Like, you're going to do this. They said, Not everyone here is going to do it, and you're going to do it. And to me, like 19-year-old Ohio boy, yeah. for, to, to, to see like two actors that I thought were amazing, you know, I felt like I got a secret handshake, you yeah. know? And those are the kinds of things that you, you, you bottle up, you, you put them in like this, the deepest place inside you to, for, to pull out on a rainy day. Yeah, yeah. Like the, the days that are so dark and you're like, why did I do this? I'm not talented. I'm not going to. And you remember like, no, someone actually said you're going to do this and and until you can generate it yourself you almost have to depend on those external sources interesting and and i and it was really a it was a powerful summer for me cuz i i went back to kenyan even more resolved about um be, doing this professionally you know it wasn't um like a maybe it was like i'm doing this and it's also great to see actors who have had careers in film and on in in and in, in uh television you know still going back to the stage and and, and understanding i think uh as an adult that it is a profession yeah, like yeah. because I think when you're younger, you're sort of like, I'm just going to be in a movie. Right. Well, I also think there's a lot of, um, there's a the feeling, because good acting makes, it looks easy, mm-hmm. and because it looks like life, a lot of people think they can do it. That's you, true. You know what I'm saying? Sure, it's with comedy, too. Yeah. So I feel like, um, I'm, I really try to tell people, like, I was not discovered in a coffee shop. Like, I went to school the way you go to law school or med school. How like, long I were the graduate program? Three years. So it's seven all Around the clock. Yeah. Yeah. And and then you come out here. 
Well, I was in in and around New York for a little while. Doing what? Doing stage? theater. Shitty, um, uh, like no experimental? Good, like, or good? like I got my equity card at Manhattan Theater Club off Broadway, understudied, took over a role actually when the actor left. I did uh, an Eric Bogosian play at Baltimore Center Which Stage. Which one? It's called Griller. It never came into New York. Uh-huh. But yeah. what's fun, interesting about him, and what I, I imagine that you, you learn from somebody like him, is that you know he's a, he's a phenomenal talent, both as you know an, an actor and as a creator, but you know, if you spend time with him, you're like, oh my god, you, you, he's you know, he struggles with oh my himself, god. Yeah. yeah, and he's completely kind of you know in, in, at once insecure and confident. But and, that's also in some ways that's a relief. No, no, because I know. you don't want to. Like, you know what I mean? Like yeah. I don't want to be. I don't want my my artistic heroes to just be like saints. I want them to feel real, I, and that's I why you like them. Yeah, I don't gravitate towards any saints. Yeah, I, I think mostly the opposite of saints. Right. That guy had a hard time. I like him. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Share your struggles with me. Well, so okay, so you work with Bogosian. I work with Bogosian. I, okay, so I then I didn't work for six months. I you know I, I auditioned for York. everything yeah. in New York, and then I went to Vassar. Is that when you had the, the sort of like what am I doing? Like, tell me about those times where yeah, you say like, you struggle. And you have to hold on to these these little tidbits, yeah, and then, of, of 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 support, yeah. And you, you, one of the things I learned early on was like I can't sit around with other grad school grads and complain about how hard it is to be an actor. Like I found that that it was such a cycle. It's, it's like a fragile your psyche, so fragile as an yeah. artist, yeah. That you that I didn't want to um, submerge myself in all that negativity because it, it'll it'll beat you. Yeah, you're done. Yeah. You know, I told I always tell people like. It's not people don't quit acting because acting's hard. They quit acting because not acting's hard. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Unemployment's tough. It's like it's I said it's like a life of snow days. Yeah. You wake up and you're I was actually making enough to not have to do another job. Right. I, mean, I didn't have a lot of money, but right. I didn't have to do another job. So and then I started writing because I I had to I had hours to fill. Yeah. I had days and days to fill. You're writing you know? as opposed to like, you know, waking up late, smoking weed, exactly. hanging out with guys going, We're fucked. Yeah. You you I tried that on for a while and I was like, This is not working. No. You know? Well, that's good. That's the other that's that party that uh, doesn't yeah, didn't want to be a terrible person. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> uh, yeah. Because there's no way for you not to absorb like you you can lock into that type of cynicism yeah. to, to that sort of um, self-loathing. We're or... really contagious as pe- our, our psyche. You know what I'm saying? Oh, like, yeah, absolutely. And, and you, I think you have to be careful about what you're going to subject yourself to. Yeah, and, and be big enough or, or at least self-aware enough to pull out of it because I was cynical and bitter and insecure for years. Yeah. And sometimes it, it, it takes some success to, to, to make that go away, unfortunately. Yes, I think that's right. I think that's right, or at least little tastes of it along the yeah, way. That's right. Um, so yeah, and I did. I you know I had a couple break. I had a couple little breaks. You know, I my I got fired from my first pilot. Um, what I, was that one? It was called Off Centers on the WB. So you moved out here, but I you moved had, out here. I got my you first had, pilot. I you auditioned had representation. For. Yeah, I got my first pilot. I auditioned for. We shot it. Yeah. I got fired. I got replaced. That's rough. And then six, welcome to Hollywood. Yeah. Then I went back to New York. Did two plays. Came back. I think I did a Law and Order. Then I got this Sally Field show that got canceled after six episodes, and then or three episodes they aired. We shot six. Then I went back to New York and I got The Graduate on Broadway with Kathleen Turner and Lisa Silverstone. How was that? For, great. It was great. It was over three months. I just it was like the greatest summer theater gig ever. Like I didn't have to get reviewed on I, Broadway. I ju- yeah, it was a big hit. I just jumped in. Two weeks of rehearsal. You replaced somebody. I replaced no, Jason, Jason Biggs. No, Jason he, he did a uh, Woody Allen movie, so I got to take over while he was doing that. And then I came back out to L.A. You know, always on the stage, man. Uh, yeah, you really, you really got a foot in that. 
Yeah, it's where I feel the most. It's where I feel like I know what I'm doing the most. As well, I think that's rare, you know, in in a sense that like a lot of movie actors they can't do it. They can't do this. I'd I've, love to. You know, I know Cranston's. Did you go see him as LBJ? I haven't been yet. No, but I hear I, it's I, great. Is it? I, yeah. I I just saw it. I didn't I didn't know about it. But I was in New York when yeah. you were there. What was it last week? Yeah. And I saw the sign for it. I'm like, that'd be interesting. That guy's a great actor. He, I've talked to him in here. And you know what's amazing about him in, in terms of what we're talking about and sort of what you're talking about is just how, like, his work ethic and he's got this sort of utilitarian kind of like, you know, it's my job. Yeah. You know. But the he, great ones are like that. They're yeah. like they're like craftsmen. You know, they just go from town to town. They do their job and they, they don't get too crazy about it. And even if something's not great, they're like, yeah, this one wasn't great. You know right. what I mean? They can right. move on, right? And it's not their whole life is not hinging on it. No, I'm a I'm a little uh, too precious about that. I actually admire that kind of thing because because if I'm doing what something, a gig's I, a gig. Yeah, if yeah. I if I'm doing something that I hate, it's like my, I can't enjoy my hours even when I'm not there because I'm like, oh god, I got to go back there. <laughs> you know? Have, have you had a lot like that? Not no. I've been thankful that I haven't. You All right. Know? So you do the three pilots and the three shows, and they get yeah. so your fourth one was How I Met Your Mother. Yeah. Like I can't even imagine you, you've you've gone through a whole evolution as a person while you stayed in this character. You know, I know that's actually been really hard because it's like you're evolving so much faster than the character is evolving. Right. So you almost feel like you're. This is going to sound kind of condescending, but you almost feel like I'm a PhD candidate and I'm doing the SATs or something. Right. You know, where you have to go back. Yeah. And um, but the, you know the character is great. I I found the the longer I played him, I felt distanced from him more. And he was more fun to play when I wasn't trying, thinking he was some version of me. Right. You know? Right. I felt but, that but, too but with the, the second but, season of the show. But the problem was that if you play a role and you play it fairly successfully and, and you know, my, my uh, you know, independent films weren't like global box office sensations. So it's not like everyone saw me do other things. Mm -hmm. So... You you just get overly identified with a part, and that then that becomes the challenge of the next phase of your career. Like, but yeah, also like it's interesting because it, it, in the landscape we are in now, where you know it's a hit show, but it's a big media landscape. Yeah. I mean, you, that identification is going to be specific. Yeah, like there's going to be people that that don't identify you with that at all, and just know right, that about right. You. <clears throat> I mean, I always try to remember. You know, if, if 9 million people watch How I Met Your Mother Week, it's like, well, like 300, 290 million Americans no are not watching it. So it's like, I'm hearing from the people who watch it, but like, there's plenty of people that I'm just like a guy at the airport. And that's or comforting, right? And that, that actually is comforting, you yeah, know? Yeah, that you still have that. Yeah, and I think it's it's always good to remember. And you like, don't travel with an entourage? No, not at all. <laughs> Not at all. He came over here alone. I did. I did. You could vouch for that. <laughs> but uh, now it's just a matter of how much can my restlessness, like how much time can I really take? Well, what, to... what, what would be a dream gig? I mean, outside of directing a movie, which you're going to do yeah. and, and writing these things. But I mean, what, who would you like to work with? You know, if you were to do a film and who would, you know, what director you, do you want to do a Woody Allen movie? Um, do you want to work with like Martin Scorsese? Do you want to work? I'm with like him? a Richard Linkletter fan. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I really want to see that movie. He shot over like a decade. Yeah, Did you hear one? about that movie, Boy? No. They shot. It was Ethan Hawke and I think Patricia Arquette and this kid. Yeah. And they started shooting when he was like seven or eight, and they go through every every. They shot three it's days like every year. Yeah. Like yeah. the yeah. What's it called? Something. Seven up. Forty. Seven up, yeah. Fourteen up. Yeah. Um, they shot like for like three days every year. Mm -hmm. So it's like this unbelievably innovative project. I mean, I just think I love what he's up to. I just think he's always worth. That seems like something out. you could do. 
to do that? You'll have to talk to Richard Linklater and say, you know, put me in a movie. Maybe I will. Well, I mean, you don't have to say maybe it like that. Maybe I will. Maybe, maybe instead of having <laughs> dinner with Martin Short. <laughs> I'm going to say, Martin, do you know Richard Linklater? Yeah, can you give me his number? <laughs> Do you, I, I think uh, I met him once. You've never met him before. I I've been like uh, I've been like at places with him where I'm two feet away. Do I tap him on the shoulder and interrupt the conversation he's in? Kind of yeah, proximity. Yeah, yeah. And I've always chickened out. Isn't that weird? Like here you are in like this massive hit show, you know, with national recognition. You got chops. You're you're fucking solid. But there's still party that's like I don't want to bother Richard. Lee well, Potter. of course, but also like. I suspect he doesn't watch How I Met Your Mother. <laughs> no, Al- although he... Quentin Tarantino does, it's his favorite show, which I thought was really interesting. Did you strange. get to meet him? I haven't met him yet, but he was—he was a—he's a big fan, and he is also a fan of Jill's movie, so he knows who I am. We'll see. There, so you, we'll would see. you like to be in one of his? I movies? actually am a big Tarantino fan. It's hard not to be—you uh, know—sort com- of mildly obsessed with what he does. I think he makes great movies, like in the in, the, in the most, you know, in the you know. He just makes great movies. Well, yeah, there, nothing. No one does what he does. No, and you know, like, and, I, and I also generally don't like really violent things. But for some reason, his violence it doesn't bother me. He's got an elevated sort of bizarre sense of humor and force yeah. to anything he does. Like there are some movies where it's like I I could maybe not like twenty minutes of it, but then there's another twenty that are like beyond anything I've ever seen before. Yeah. And then, yeah. but his is the method. You know, the way of dialogue and the pacing of things, you know, and sort of how erratic he can be is pretty astounding. I also think his villains are so, like, archetypally bad. Yeah. So when they die, you find yourself cheering in almost like it's like a Greek play or something. Yeah, you know? yeah. And just like the, his editing, like, if you watch, it's it's like Scorsese, too. Like, um, when I watched Wolf of Wall Street, I was so relieved that, you know, he had gotten his, like, he like either he's going to do his thing, that sort of manic momentum with the layers right. of music and 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 it's so gratifying. The same with Tarantino. He's got a very unique fucking momentum. You yeah. know, you just feel like, you know, everything is loaded up. You also kind of have that feeling that like he really knows what he's doing. So you can relax. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like some some films are a little bit like watching a waiter with like carry 10 plates. And you're like, and you're oh, like oh, there's, there's, they don't, they're not in total control of this. Yeah. And he just really knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. And also he'll push the limits of it. Like, you know, he knows what he's doing and he's obviously very efficient. Then all of a sudden he does something or like, what the fuck? I know. So <laughs> yeah. you're never ahead of it. Nope. And never. you just feel kind of. That's a good thing. I went and saw, I saw Django um, on Christmas day with two of my friends. Like, yeah. you know, big cup of coffee is like. 11 a.m. Yeah. Perfect seats. And it was just, I, it was as pleasurable a time as I've had going to a movie in a really long time. Oh, yeah. It's astounding. Yeah. Like, it's astounding how, how he can go in and out of sort of, like, it's all within his, uh, his vision. But there are some things where, like, he'll do, like, three or four minutes in a movie where, like, that was stunning. That was, like, I European. I know. <laughs> you know. I also think his film vocabulary is That's larger is. than anyone's. That's where it is. So that, he just is drawing on a limitless well He's, of he's not ashamed to do it. That, no. That's his style. Yeah. Is this amount, you know, That's this, something I've had to do in the last couple of years is, like, is like give myself film school. Because yeah. I'm, a, I'm a proper actor, and that's where my training is. So I think I have storytelling instincts from being inside of a lot of sure. scripts and characters. Uh-huh. But but cinematically I've had to really educate myself well how do you do that I get you know like I order a lot of Criterion collection and and really try to watch those movies and just fill in the blanks like what the the Bicycle Thief yeah the Bicycle Thief Rome Open City I got that I haven't watched it is that good (laughs) yeah of course Um, I got all the you know uh, Louis Maul have you seen Murmur of the Heart 
No. Oh my God, you got to watch this Louis Maul movie. Yeah. It's nuts. It's kind of like um, Spanking the Monkey before Spanking the Monkey. It's uh-huh. like a mother oh, really? son. Oh, maybe. It's oh, fantastic. Maybe that, yeah. that movie stayed, really has stayed with me. What other ones, man? Um, you, so you're going through like the. Yeah. Film, I mean, films? I had such big gaps. I mean, I saw it a couple years ago, but I'm obsessed and I've now watched it many times. But The Apartment is one of my favorite Great. movies. Great. Uh, unbelievable. Great. Um, uh, on the waterfront, I have seen, which is so good. It's crazy. It's crazy good. And sometimes I go into these a little trepidatiously where I'm like, okay, this feels like homework. Yeah. But then on the waterfront, you're just like, this movie is, yeah, works watch, completely. Yeah. And you can watch it again and again. That's the weird thing. Cause yeah. like on some of the airplanes, I don't remember if Virgin or whatever, where they have the classic collection of movies. Yeah. Oh, like, I always watch those. Right, I, so I haven't seen up. this in a while. Yeah. I've got like a bunch kind of queued up that I, I need to And what watch. do you, how do you study it? What do you, what do you think? I mean, I just watch it and I, I try to kind of let it wash over me and then I ask myself some questions like why did that work? Mm -hmm. What was interesting about that? What kept my attention? What didn't keep my attention? Mm -hmm. Um, Because, you know, I think some things are... Some some of those movies are really... um, You you watch some of those 70s movies where you think this must have been at its time like an explosion went off in the theater. Right. But you watch it now and everyone's built upon that. Yeah. So it seems like you can't understand the force when you're divorced from the time. Sure. That it, that it came on. I mean, when I grew up, it was like, it was like John Hughes era. Yeah, yeah, I, and I, I still think the, those movies kind of missed great. a lot. Yeah, I and mean, the Breakfast Club, them. I watched again. Have you not seen the Breakfast Club? Sure, I have. Yeah, yeah, I've, and I think I've seen them. Yeah, and I've seen the Breakfast Club a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a it's a great movie when you're a teenager. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or like Spielberg was big, like Loom Large, or you know, dude, like you know. to watch like fucking. I just watched Jaws part of it last night, and like Jaws, Close Encounters, yeah. Like I get hung up on the idea of why he used Francois Truffaut as this intermediary. Do, like to, to me, it was such a like in my mind. I always assume that it's like some sort of. Um, kind of a multi-layered tip of the hat because you know Truffaut is the guy that comes in with the technology to right. communicate right. through sight and sound right, 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 right. with the aliens and he's got Truffaut yeah. the guy who was part of the, the, the French New Wave right. who defined the auteur theory and there was a magazine called Sight and Sound out of France that sort of documented the, the original auteurs right. and I'm like Spielberg's so smart that's yeah. why he put him in well, there fun, it's, it's fun to kind of in-joke in movies, yeah, you know, that, I don't know if that, that's real. I don't know if I'm, I'm making sure it there's up. something. I mean, it's also cool that you can call up your heroes and say, "Do you want to spend a month with me in New Mexico where they filmed yeah. that?" You know, yeah, I I think like he is. Uh, it, it you can criticize him all you want, but like, what a fucking dude has got. Oh, he's a, ge- on he's a genius. It. It's beyond. Yeah, anything. yeah, yeah. I can even. I, and one thing I learned from him, and I keep trying to remind myself, is like simple. Like his images are just simple, but like so powerful. He's not, he doesn't overcomplicate things in a way. It's like, it's like he really just juxtaposes images that tell the story and get your heart racing or make you cry or whatever. Like it's very simple, but it's, he's masterful at it. Well, it's interesting that to see the guys that really set out to make box office smashes, you know, like he clearly wants to make big movies. Right. But it doesn't feel at the expense of your intelligence. No, no, not at all. You know, but then you look at like Scorsese who was like, what the fuck is, where did that guy come from? Right. Where the fuck did taxi driver come from? <laughs> Dude, no. When was the last time you watched fucking Goodfellas? Oh, I have it. I actually watched about half of it it's kind great. of recently. Yeah. I watch it like twice a year. Yeah. I watch the first two Godfathers every year. Yeah. Like the, the second Godfather. That what is that? That's fucking it's all in there. Uh, yeah. Smart yeah. shit. Those are not overrated movies, I think. <laughs> oh no, <laughs> yeah. no. I just uh like it, I, it, it it's exciting to be excited about things. 
And, totally. And, and I, agree, it, I agree with that. And it's... Uh, it's better than thinking things are terrible and well, being, being cynical. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like I like when I'm sort of like, this is great. You know, I love this. I know. And, I'm, I, and, I, and something changed in my heart and mind where it's sort of like, I try to look for the good things. As opposed to like you know dismissing things, yeah. Because like it, the weird thing about about being cynical or ironically detached is that, you know, when you're sitting in front of something that someone spent you know millions of dollars and put all of their fucking heart and mind into it and really put it out there, it it deserves more than like, eh, I don't know. One hundred percent. I mean, you know, when you when you actually start creating stuff, mm-hmm. like really creating stuff that you're from the Kishkas, you yeah, know, like yeah. really, and then you you naturally get a kind of hostile relationship to the marketplace yeah. and to critics because you feel like they're just like, eh, yeah, next. And then you're sort you of know. like, what the fuck do you do? You, yeah. you, you, your life is determined by what we do. Exactly. You, you know, I mean, you're parasites. Yes. And, you know, all you're there for is to, to sort of fuel a market or, or serve your own voice. Right. And it's, oh, uh, there was a great, there's a great thing I read about uh, the true critic is more loyal to the artist than to his audience. Like that's who he's writing for and to in some ways. Uh-huh. It's like a like a shared dialogue or a love letter between you and the artist. And older critics used to do that. I mean, I think- I appreciate said, a good critic. Like Pauline Kael, they said, you know, I read something that said, she was never better than when she passionately loved something. And nowadays I feel like critics are, their, their kind of rhetorical fireworks go off when they hate something and can take something down. Well, the whole culture is based on, on provoking conflict or provoking controversy that, you know, the media landscape has become so fragmented and competitive that they don't think that, you know, content is only that which has traction and, right. and conflict has traction and, and dumping on people has traction. Yeah. And, and I also think that we, there's no, you know, because the marketplace is so fierce, there's no kind of apprenticeship or, or, or sense of, of allowing a talent to grow mm-hmm. and incubate something. And also you know? like a, with a good critic, you can, you know, you learn things about yourself. Like, you know, you, you learn you, things about what you created 100%. And yes. so, and if you trust a guy, even if it hits you hard, you're yeah. like, yeah, that's kind of right. Yeah, yeah. Like I remember the New York times wrote up my, my one man show. And I was so excited because the only New York times review I really got. And he basically said it was good, but, but what, and it was something about dramatic structure. He said, I didn't see the character transform Uh huh. that within the hour and 15 minutes or hour and a half of, of my journey on stage, that there was no, third act in a way right right that, how does he transform and i i didn't even have i didn't, wasn't even thinking about that right and at first i was like but at the very end i kind of have an awakening <laughs> but that was that, that but, your open letter to the new york times <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> fuck you i awakened no but there, but transforming of character that where does that character go yeah is sort of essential to the story in some ways sure even if it, even if he doesn't go anywhere or he goes that that should read as a transformation yeah yeah i got a um I got a really lovely review from uh, Roger Ebert on liberal arts, uh-huh. and it was, you know, towards the end of his life. And I, I, I had a draft of a letter I was writing him to thank him, and he died. And uh-huh. I, I've always been sad about that, but it was another one of those things that you hold on to and kind of keep, mm-hmm. you know, because mm-hmm. this guy Stephen Holden in the New York Times <laughs> will not give it up for my movies on any level. Oh, I yeah. mean, he's just. He's just doesn't like me. Yeah. I, I think he's like, you stay in TV. He always compares my movies to sitcoms, which is like, dude, I'm on a sitcom. Yeah. Like, like that's so lazy. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but Roger Ebert wrote such lovely words about it. And, and, you know, at, at its best, I think criticism can do what you, it can, it can illuminate what you've that's done. That's what it's supposed to do. That's what it's supposed to do. I don't, I don't think it's supposed to be like, this sucks. I, I summarized it and now I, 
you yeah. know, like Holden even, he gave away plot twists and yeah. liberal arts that are kind of like a sweet surprise. Yeah. Like stuff. So he's being a dick. I think, I don't know. I don't want to, yeah. I don't want to, I, I'm, I've never met the guy. I don't know why. It doesn't you know, matter. It doesn't matter. Yeah. None of it matters. We're dying. We're going to be dead in a hundred well, years. Well, but you know, even, you know, even those reviews matter less and less as time goes on. There's a great Winston Churchill quote where he says, uh, few things in life are as exhilarating as to be shot at without result. <laughs> And I kind of feel like criticism is a little like that. It's like the bullets are whizzing by. Right. And you're like, they didn't get me. I'm going to create something else. Screw you. You That's a good way to end. Thanks for talking, man. It was good to be here. I really think I could have talked to that guy for a long time. I think I did talk to him for a long time. I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, On Thursday, the uh, the amazing Lewis Black is here. and, And once again... A lot of things I didn't know about Lewis. And I'll be honest with you, we had a very candid conversation about everything that led up to, to his break. A lot of stuff I didn't know. It's a very unique interview with Lewis Black. So that's coming up on Thursday. I love you all. Go to WTFPod.com. Uh, I believe we're probably going to get rid of the comments. That's, uh, that's, starting to, that's starting to feel like the thing to do. That, you know, it's not really a community there. It's you know, randomly... Uh, uh, you know, a place for people to express shitty things and then a few people express some good things. But, you know, that's about the size of it. So I think that's going. So uh, if you want to get your last licks in at the comments at WTF Pod, do that. As I said in the intro, get the app and upgrade the premium map for all the good stuff. And uh, JustCoffee.coop, always available at WTFPod.com. If you get the WTF blend, yeah, get a little get a little on the back end on that one. I'm going to go in and see if I can get on the internet. Hmm. Boomer lives.